This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best part right there. The, the fact that you score it just like a bowling. Yeah. yeah. Genius. That's genius laying out a score. 1931 genius here. I, did he well, wait, wait, wait. Get it? <laughs> why do we do this? Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we all collectively? It's we weird it. how the, but it's weird how our it eyes probably move the exact same way. We look yeah. for the blanks and we're like counting the blanks. We collectively arrive at the oh no at the exact same oh, time. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we hope to take winning from a thought experiment to reality in Schrodinger's Cats. Next up, we get to the textile markets early to become the finest tailor of the season in Rococo. And lastly, we trade a big heavy ball for some nice light dice in Bolette. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello, everyone. Ed Povolitis. Hey, guys. Mike Grenier. All systems go. <laughs> and back with us, we are so excited to have... Grant Lyon from Comedy Central, our favorite comedian. Oh. Best, can we say BFC? Best best friend comedian? Friend, friend. Yeah. BFC? That's <laughs> all I've ever dreamed of being. So, yes, BFC. <laughs> We're so excited to have you back, Grant. Thank you. And people said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, best friend comedian. That's all, that's all I want to be. <laughs> and they didn't know what you were talking uh-huh. about and until now. Like, it's something I'm making up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to achieve it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you showed them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Our first game up this week is Schrodinger's Cats, designed by Heather O'Neill, Christopher O'Neill, and Heather Wilson. Published by Ninth Level Games. Ooh, that's a good, that's a fun level, actually. Ninth level. <laughs> In 2015, number of players, two to six, ages eight and up. Playtime, 10 to 30 minutes. Okay, Mikey, tell us, what's in the box? Is it dead or alive? The cover of the box is a box, and another box, and many more boxes filled with living cats. Or are they dead cats? I guess we'll never know until we open them. When we do open the box, instead of a cat, we find 52 box cards, 10 cat physicists, a lab clipboard tracker, a wooden box, and some stickers. And that's what's in the box. Woo! All right. Before we find out if this game is DOA or alive. <laughs> or A-OK. Or A-OK. Thank you, Mike. Evan, present us with the theory of quantum superposition. I mean, the uh, rules. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I was like, good luck with that. Oh, boy. <laughs> we only and have Grant, an hour. Take right. it away. <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness you're here. I, I Schrodinger's cats. Yeah. I, I, I literally read the Wikipedia page earlier, and I'm still not sure if I read English or not. Uh. <laughs> you didn't. Yeah. yeah. All right. Schrodinger's cats. It's a card game of strategic uncertainty. Your bluffing and deduction skills will need to be at the ready. Players are dealt a hand of cards. There are four different cards. Live cats, dead cats, empty boxes, and Heisenberg's uncertainty principles. Those are wild cards, basically. 
players are also assigned one cat physicist, such as Albert Felinstein, Sally Pride, or Neil deGrasse Tabby. Each of them them possessing a special ability to help improve their hands. These cards can only be played once per game. In turn order, players will bid a quantity and type of card. For example, two alive cats. Now, this bid is a reflection of how many of those cards are in all the players' hands. The bidding continues around and around until a player calls out, show us what you got, and then everyone reveals their hand of cards. If the bidder wins, then the person who called out loses, and they lose one of their two cat lives. If the bidder comes up short, they lose one of their two cat lives. Now, any player who loses both their cat lives is eliminated from play. Last cat standing wins the game. And all uncertainty collapses into the particle and the wave that is Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> nice. Well, we got to play this game on Board Game Arena. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it new to BGA? I feel like it's new. Ed? Relatively new, yeah. Yeah. BGA is exploding with games. It has got like five new games a week, I feel mm-hmm. like, which is great for everybody. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, what did we think of the art? It's uh, cartoonish and humorous. Yay. Easy to read. Easy to see. I liked that we were looking straight down on the box from up above as if we were the scientist opening up the box to see the alive or dead cat inside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's a bidding game or a bluffing game? Yes. Well, you bid and you bluff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a yes. You bid and you bluff. And Ed says it's similar to Liar's Dice. And I hate to say this, but I have never played Liar's Dice. Oh, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even say that it's similar to Liar's Dice. I would say that it is exactly Liar's Dice, <laughs> but with cards. Well, it's not a- exactly Liar's Dice. In Liar's Dice, well, you have dice. And here you got boxes of cats. It's, it's Liar's Dice, but without the dice. The difference that I noticed, though, is there's a, a unique mechanic in this where you can reveal some of the information in your hand. So unlike Liar's Dice, you, you say, oh, I, I have five fours in Liar's Dice. And then you could actually pull out a couple of the fours that you have under your cup and redraw new dice to go into the cup. That would be the equivalent. So in this True. game, you mm-hmm. can say I have four dead or there's seven dead cats. And to prove it, I'm going to show three of them and then redraw three ones. So you could actually draw into more of them to add more to the board. You're right. That is a difference. I'm glad there was one. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another difference it are the scientist cats, the, the cat physicist cards. Mm-hmm. Once per game, they give you a special ability. For example, I used one once where I could just draw two more cards into my hand automatically, and boom, there it is. It kind of changed all the all the numbers and all the statistics involved. Yeah, I would say that those weren't exactly balanced, although in a short game for fun like this, balance isn't a huge deal. Mm, interesting. So I didn't actually get a chance to play with you guys in particular. I had to play with randos online. So you took the uh, uncertainty principle to a whole new level by getting <laughs> uncertain players. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. I, I don't know if it's the game uh, or BGA that attracts uh, a particular um, level of clever discourse, but I found the trash talk particularly sharp. Meaning it was smart. It was good stuff. So they were doing some really good trash, or I should say trash typing in this case. <laughs> some trash it, typing. It, it, was, it was good. Now, did you find, because I didn't get to play with you guys, did you find that it was 
a game that really encouraged trash talking. <laughs> I, yes. Yeah, definitely. It fits into the bluffing mechanism or part of the game because you re- you need to find ways to throw your opponents off and try to, mm-hmm. you know, either break their concentration or really get, get them thinking about maybe other things than so much focusing on your bid and the actual numbers <laughs> involved in making the statistical analysis you, you need to do to, cut, to, to try to win this thing. Mm-hmm. Or, or simply just trying to bully someone. It's like you're bullying the next player down. Just, uh, oh, you better call them out because if you don't, I will. Yeah, or humiliating somebody like, oh, come on, yeah. you can't go one more. Or they're they're totally punking you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Evan jumped on the bandwagon, but he didn't really put anything up to show us. No, I didn't. He did not, Ashley. Mm-hmm. And he's been bidding on live cats, so you know That's he right. has a handful of live cats. That's right. So That's he's right, doing Call 12. me. Go ahead. You I'll tell you what, to... Ed. Call me out. Come on. Don't let him scare you, Ed. This Do is your it. moment to shine. Call me out. I dare you. How's that? Ooh, dare. He dare me. He dared me to call me out. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. You're going to do it? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do that. Let's see it. Let's <laughs> see your no dead cats. Uh, yes. Got what? it. Woo. Oh, wow. Got 12 dead cats. 12 Just dead made cats. it. Just made it. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that people had, I'm like, if they each have one wild card, that'll be perfect. I just got the wild card. I just got it. Yeah, I had the wild card. Yep. So what did you think of the whole calling out mechanism here? I think it was an essential part of the game. It wouldn't really function without that. So here's the thing, like sometimes I found myself totally cornered. Like I yes. don't want to call out, but I have to call yep. out because I can't yep. bid. When somebody gets the exact number and there's no further to go and you know it in your heart that that's the right number, you're done. You're backed into a corner. But there are opportunities to play with it a little bit though. Like, okay, you're backed in the corner, but you, you think if you were to call them out, they probably have it. So what you do, maybe bid up one more show something that hey i got something that's drunk that and now you're discarding and drawing two cards making maybe changing the odds mm-hmm. maybe i just drew one more and there is indeed one more than there was <laughs> i mean that's awesome right that's that's what makes this game different yeah right yeah it is gambling <laughs> well and i will say in a game like this uh it really does depend on who you're sitting next to you know oh, yeah. like oh. i We'll play Liar's Dice with my roommates, and one of my roommates always just jumps the bid up to that point where <laughs> every time it gets to him, he's like right on the edge, and you're like, man, I don't, sixes. I don't want to sit next, I don't want to sit left of him. I do not want to <laughs> sit left of him if we're playing this. Yep. So. Yeah, that's a good point. That's an excellent point. Uh, it's like having a bridge partner who just doesn't know when to control themselves and oh. when to stop. You know? <laughs> that, that never happens. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have bid. one. Five just, hearts. Okay. What? Five We're not going to talk about it. Just go there. Look, yes. I'm going to shoot the moon every single chance I get, okay? Whether I'm That's close right. or not, I'm going for it, baby. At least we know that up front. That's good. That's something to work with. What the heck? Go for broke. 24 live cats. Uh-huh. <laughs> Call me a liar. So what? Something that was kind of cool too that we actually didn't really try out but i want to try it next time is there is a wild card the heisenberg card it counts for either dead or alive or an empty box it counts for whatever the bid is right for whatever the bid currently is Mm -hmm. but when you reveal a card you can reveal that heisenberg card now everybody knows that there's a card that will fit into any bid that's going to happen so it kind of pops the number up yeah we we didn't try it but next time i definitely want to check that out yeah, I didn't notice it being used in our game either. 
there's a psychology to a wild card in a game in which it's viewed as the sort of this precious thing, and they mm-hmm. are. And that's hard to kind of give up in a certain way. And I think if if you're exposing it in a way, you're giving it up to the community. Right. Yeah. I, I think unless you really need that extra card draw, that I like the idea of keeping that hidden because there's so few of them in the deck. The fact that you have one is kind of cool. Well, for me, I want it to make to embolden people to go too far with their bid. That's why I put it out there. Like, sure. oh, well, this is a while. It's going to fit into my bid no matter what. So, but I'll try it next Trying time. to bluff me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the bluffing is the most powerful part of this game, but like, I feel like a little bit it was lost by being online instead of in person, mm. you know, really staring in, into somebody's eyes and like, you know, calling them out has, I think, a different effect than doing it over the internet. I, yeah, I definitely hear you your feeling there, but I think we put it in our voices when we did it online. I thought we did a good job of doing that. But we that. could see each other. We have webcams. Yeah, that's yeah. different. It's true. <laughs> that I was helping, too. It did help. And I just love that feature of showing what you got. It's like, oh, I'm going to go 10 live cast, and here are three of them. Mm-hmm. What? Yep. And the bids change every round, too. You don't really get settled into the, the same type of bidding because every round you get one less card in your hand to start yeah. with, so it changes mm-hmm. the dynamic. How did yeah. you guys like the player elimination? I I usually hate player elimination, but you kind of need it in this game to add to the tension. And Well, and because it's also so quick. Right, exactly. Yes. Yeah, that helps. Especially yeah. those la- the last round has four cards, two mm-hmm. players with two cards each, so yep. it's over in like 30 yeah, seconds. Yeah, over pretty quick because you're almost like the head-to-head is like all right you just got one go and like all right who (laughs) got it who doesn't (laughs) i think in this game it's better than in most yes grant because of the speed but also because it's a kind of game where you want to stay and watch even if you're eliminated because you want to see the guy that took you down get taken down. Yeah. How can we have a spite? I don't want to win. I just want to spite someone else. Schrodinger's spite. Uh You can still talk smack, too, when you're sitting on the sidelines. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They did. They did. We kept trash talking the people that were left. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was good. It, it, it is very cathartic to watch their cats die after yeah. they died. <laughs> All right. I will say I do appreciate that they took something that is wildly heady and made it dumb and silly and fun like this. Yeah. It's true. Because I, I know probably a lot of people don't know what Stroganger's equation is, let alone the Heisenberg principle. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, they're uncertain about it. Schrodinger had this whole conversation with Einstein. And so imagine that's like Mm -hmm. where Schrodinger's cats come from. And uh, I'm guaranteeing you there's not going to be some Einsteins and Schrodinger's playing this game. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) I get the feeling it would appeal to the whimsy of scientists. They they can be a whimsical (laughs) bunch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Schrodinger's cats. Mike? This game was far deeper and more psychological than I expected by looking at the box. Combine that with all the science jokes and cat puns, and it's a win for me. So dig it up. Evan? Schrodinger's Cats is a quick, fun, bluffing card game. Simple rules to follow. And if you go back and watch the video of us, Which Game First, playing on our YouTube channel, Which Game First, you will hear a lot of laughs. Therefore, (laughs) dig it up. (laughs) Ed? A simple bluff game with a few twists and powers to shake things up. 
It's fun to go for the big bed and trash talk your way to the win. It's a staple. I'll dig this up to run a few more experiments. <laughs> well, unlike quantum mechanics, we don't need to wonder if this is deterministic or stochastic. This Ooh. game is a deterministic, simple set of options that cleverly mingle with one another to create the reality of fast, clean fun. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about the Schrodinger's equation <laughs> or cats, let us know. We are at Wish Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, everybody, we just wanted to take a minute to say what's going on with us. Let's start with Grant. Grant Lyon, what is going on with you? Hey, well, I am uh, starting to get back out there performing again. So I am, I am doing my normal comedy at comedy clubs around the country. I'll be uh, headlining in Minneapolis. I'll be headlining in Boise. I'll be doing that. And I'm also uh, taking my board game comedy hour show uh, starting mm. to do that on the road. Uh, you know, I'll be doing it with you guys yeah. in Connecticut. I'll be doing it at um, Game Center in uh, Minneapolis. I'll be doing it at a few different places. So check on that stuff. 9 p.m. Friday night, September 10th. Grant Lyon will be with us, which game first at the Connecticut Festival of Indie Games inside of Connecticut. A huge fandom convention in Connecticut. We cannot wait to see you live, Grant. Yeah, it's going to be so fun. Yeah, it is. We have never gotten to see you live. This board game comedy hour, I cannot wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. It's definitely going to be a unique experience. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, as a gamer and a longtime comedian, I'm, I'm uniquely positioned to do a show like this, and I'm really excited that I can sort of bring both of my worlds together into a fun show for, for gamers. I'm that really hoping awesome. it can reach. I hope it has more reach just outside of gamers. I think some other people will be still interested in. Well, I'm, in I'm hoping that too, right? Cause um, you know, we all love this hobby and I think all of us think about ways to continue to grow the hobby. Uh, and I, mm -hmm. and that's one of the things I love about this hobby is that it, it, there is a certain attitude of like a, a, a rising, tide raises all boats and and so yeah, that, there is. that's one of the things i am really thinking about this is that man i'd love to bring some new people into games you hear these people that are like oh i don't like board games and it's the same type of people that say oh i don't like comedy it's like no no no. you had a bad experience <laughs> once right. and you think you don't like it but that's just because you haven't been introduced to i'm sorry you played monopoly once when you were 12 and everybody hated each other but that's not board games yep. now i call that the i call that the brussels sprouts effect yeah for yeah. sure yeah man you put, you put some little crispy bacon you fry those brussels sprouts up man they're mm -hmm. good get some trezo in there i love brussels sprouts now uh-huh uh, yeah oh, everything better with the bacon i mean come on yeah. uh-huh exactly now grant we have fans all over the country so where can they check it out if in case they're close to anywhere where you're headlining where can they check out the dates uh my website grantlion.com there will be stuff up oh. there the um the the board game comedy hour that I'm doing uh at this point is um just small one offs um as I build the show you know I'm just doing them in in select cities and then eventually at some point uh, most likely in 2022 I will do a national board game comedy tour. Cool. Awesome. Snap. <laughs> <laughs> that is what's going on with Grant. We cannot wait to see him. Uh, we are getting ready both for Dragon Con. We will be an online presentation at the live show. Mm -hmm. So we will be there both in spirit and in video. 
Um, and it's going to be live, which is great. Then the very next week, we will be in Connecticut at the Connecticut Festival of Indie Games, which we are hosting very proudly. Uh, excited to host. We've got Grant, a great awards gala, his comedy hour, and a whole bunch of games in competition for awards at the festival. Should be a really fun time. Thursday night, which game first is live. We play a board game 7 p.m. Eastern time every week. You can see us on our Facebook page. You can see us on YouTube. And I believe we're also on Twitch. Is that right, Ed? I believe so. Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. We are. We're everywhere. I think we're live. And we want you to not only watch, but come along and we part we <clears throat> we interact with you. We sometimes have trivia and other games that we play with you while we're playing the game. Sometimes we have the creators of the game come on and show you personally their creation and teach yep. us all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's always a lot of fun. Which game first live Thursday night, seven o'clock. Please tune in. And if you ever thought about designing a board game, the Board Game Design Conference, boardgamedesignconference.com, you can, for 10 bucks, get access to all of the videos that, that were hosted by Grant Lyon and us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are great videos talking about a lot of aspects of board game design from industry pros at the top of the game oh, industry. Yes. Martin Wallace was there. We had uh, Reiner Nizio was there. Clemens Franz. All kinds of awesome people showed up to that. And it's still floating around out there just waiting for you to pick it up. Yep. You can grab your ticket today at BoardGameDesignConference.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Our next game up this week is Rococo. Designed by Matthias Kramer, Stefan Maltz, and Lewis Waltz. Published by Eagle Griffin Games in 2020. Number of players 1 to 5, ages 14 and up, playtime 60 to 120 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in this enormous and colorful box. An elegant dance is taking place on the cover of this box. The participants glide gracefully across the floor before an enormous hall with stained glass windows with a fireworks display showering them with brilliant light. Inside the box, you'll find a double-sided game board, five player boards, 42 garment tiles, 28 employee cards, 25 starting employee cards, five plastic resource tile racks, 105 trademark tokens, 48 resource tiles, a queen's favor tile, and a gold thimble start player marker, 50 coins, 16 lace tokens, 16 thread tokens, two reference sheets, and two cloth bags. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we lace up our corsets and slip on our tiny shoes to present this review, Evan, tell us the rules of decorum. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Rococo, the deluxe edition, is a deck-building resource management game in which you are the owner of a distinguished tailoring business in 1740 France, endeavoring to increase your prestige. In just a few weeks, Louis XV is hosting the final grand ball of the season, and everyone is clamoring for you to provide them with an elegant frock coat here, a sumptuous gown there, or even a small sum to find the great fireworks display. 
Each turn, you play an employee card that allows you to perform a task such as hiring a new employee for your staff, tailoring exquisite gowns and frock coats to rent or sell, or funding some of the many decorations. However, employees are not always able to perform all tasks, so you must plan carefully how you direct them, especially as each employee grants a unique bonus, including some that generate prestige. Prestige is victory points. The Grand Ball ends after seven rounds with a huge fireworks display and final scoring. You will gain prestige points for the sumptuous gowns and frock coats you have rented out to guests at the ball, certain employee bonuses, and the festive decorations you have funded. Whoever has collected the most prestige at the end of the game wins and may loudly exclaim that savoir-faire is everywhere. Oui, <laughs> oui. <laughs> now I feel like I have yeah. to do the rest of this in an outrageous French accent. <laughs> it will not be as good as mine. Uh, no, Grant, as beautiful, you, as colorful. I wish to hear Grant's French accent. <laughs> Boy, you guys are all real good at that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, wait a minute. You, are you saying... Yeah. Are you saying you don't have a French accent? No, no, I'm saying uh, this is my French accent. I grew up in America, but I live in France now, so. uh... It's French because I'm in France. I like it. Uh huh. I'm a dual citizen, so, you know. I'm a dual citizen. (laughs) Okay, well, this game was so freaking enormous. Oh, yeah. The box was like the size of. Of an average person's torso. I mean, this is an enormous box <laughs> that you have to heft up onto the table. It, it, it has a beautifully colorful cover with lovely art on it. Uh, and what did you think of the overall look of the components uh, and uh, art? Uh, excellent. I, I, <laughs> I, was, I was blown away. Uh, the colors are magnificent. The quality of the components, fantastic. Uh, the detail was fine. I, there was so much to look at. I had as much fun, I think, looking at the game as I did playing it. Yeah, everything is is totally deluctified in a way. I mean, the little spools of thread. Uh, no, the the lace little tokens. The the cards are gorgeous to look at. Now, every single bit. I mean, we of course I got the one that had the metal coin because oh, metal coins. So yeah, you it's know just, it. Ah, clink, metal clink. coins are awesome. Yeah, hmm. and they came in silver copper a patina like a green mm. patina and mm-hmm. gold even the tiny markers that distinguish which dresses you put on the board it's just like a round wooden disc but it had like a gold reflective paint over the top of it with your symbol on it yes green printed in gold the only issue i will take with the art <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> and mike and i funny. had a long discussion about mm-hmm. this um is the dresses themselves so you're supposed to be a tailor the finest tailor in you know, Paris, and you're trying to uh, really stand out as you know, the season's best tailor, right? And you're trying to beat out the competition. Uh, the dresses were all the same color for the same level, and they were identical looking on the tokens. And I really would have liked to have seen some way to keep the mechanics recognizable in, you know, the level of dress with while still allowing for the dresses themselves to each be unique looking. Because for me, thematically, I really wanted to be pulled in and feel like I was making <laughs> a special dress. And I'm telling you, I would have picked dresses simply based on their look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would have took ones that had worse <laughs> values just because it looked cooler and you wanted to be seen <laughs> on the floor. Yep, exactly. I do that too. I would have done that too, obviously. like That's something I that catches me off guard in some games where... 
they have a cooler looking thing. And I'm like, well, it is not to my advantage, but I have to be the person in charge of the cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that was my, that my only complaint was the lack of uniqueness in the actual tailored garments look mm-hmm. on the, on the tokens. There actually are some of the garments do have some de- uh, tiny detail differences. Um, Especially with the expansions, there's, there's like three or four expansions that come in the deluxe pack that really? add new stuff. And one of them are fancier dresses and stuff that have Fancier. slightly different art on each of the dresses. Whoa. There's even a festivity expansion which has dresses in different country styles. So you can get like, oh, what? I want the, you know, instead of the French style, I want to have the English style or right. the Japanese style. or you know, there's, They have a whole bunch of different dress styles in different countries in that little set. I, w- I think it would have been a great draw to actually have each costume be different. I think that would have been a huge draw because that's the one thing that um, it would have required separate art for each piece. But I think that is the one thing that really p- people want to do at a ball, right? Yeah. They want to be unique. You'd have to pitch mm-hmm. that idea to the, the creative side of the team and not the budget side of the team. Right, right. Mm. <laughs> right. Now, there, I think there's also the game mechanic-wise, they wanted the, there to be, because um, there's something to do with each color, like all the blue dresses you get points for, or all green dresses you get points for, so they don't want to be able to tell which ones are the blue dresses and which ones are the green. Yeah, they would have had to have swapped up a, mecha- a different symbology for the color, because yeah. the colors would have mm-hmm. been all over the place. That's, yeah, that's absolutely true. They could have added a symbol onto the card that's separate from the actual picture, just so, so you can match the symbols instead. Yeah. So this game is huge, and uh, it took us a heck of a long time to play. <laughs> this this sixty to one twenty minutes. I don't know what kind of fantasy world they were living in. <laughs> yeah, come on, people. People well, know how to play the game, basically. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to look at, and so many ways to score. That during your turn, you're like, man, you're trying to plan ahead, and you're looking at, do I buy statues? Do I plan ahead for the fireworks? Do I get myself into the kitchen? You know, like, do I buy fabric? Do I make a dress and put it on the board quickly before somebody else takes that spot? I mean, and there was there's more scoring things that I could keep track of. Like I looked at the end of the game, I'm like, oh, what does this thing do? And I was one yeah. thing away from it. I could have easily done, but I just didn't notice it because there were so many other things to look at. Grant, what do you think of games where you have a ton of different routes to victory? Like so many that you couldn't possibly master it first go around. I don't mind that. I don't mind that you can't master it the first go around because then you can keep exploring certain things. I will say I'm very choosy at who I play those types of games with. You know, that's not a game I can play with anybody. I was at a party recently and uh, somebody was like, oh, yeah, I tried to play a board game recently. I hated it. And I was like, well, well, what did (laughs) what did you play? And he was like, oh, I don't know. They made me play this game that had like different woodland factions and all of them played really differently (laughs) root and i was like somebody made you play root and he was like yeah i never played any board game before and then they made me play root and i was like why would you do that to somebody (laughs) no (laughs) that is not a first game maneuver (laughs) so you know i i don't i don't want to do that to somebody so i don't want to (laughs) like yeah rococo is not a gateway game i'll I'll say that yeah no no it's not oh though my my own personal my own personal taste is I'm about a you know I max out at about a 3.0 on BGG complexity scale where okay. I don't mind okay. something that has like a little bit of depth that you know has because that gives it some replayability but 
If it's too hard to wrap my head around, I'm out. Uh, the board game geek wait on the thing is 3.0. Yeah. Oh, you know, and I'm willing. And for me, I feel I'm similar to Grant. I think I think three three point oh is probably where my enjoyment level is peaked, you know, or or can handle it. But for the right theme, I will go mm-hmm. considerably deeper. Yeah. Theme, yeah, Max Premier, you went you went crazy. For yeah, that I don't know what the weight is on that, but yes, if it's if it's a a theme that I'm very interested in, I will go deeper. So. Playing with people also, I think it matters with the theme. Like maybe that guy was not into woodland creatures either. You know, sure. <laughs> like mm, cute mm, little creatures, mm. not his thing. I think you're right on the whole. Hey, if it's a good game, it's worth exploring. And if there's so many ways to victory, that's okay. It gives you something to do next time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to figure out. Like, okay, I'm gonna try this way. I'm gonna try this way. Mm-hmm. I I like trying that. And you know. When a game has a single path to victory and you figure that path out, I don't know, mm-hmm. for me, I'm like, okay, well, I don't really need to play this. Like, maybe I'll pull it out once mm-hmm. every six months or something like that because I enjoyed it. But, you know, it's not going to be a thing that hits my table all the time if I feel like I've figured out, you know, the only path to victory. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, Ed, I want to ask mm-hmm. you... Uh, I know you think the base mechanics are, are simple, and I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you feel that in these pathways to victory, you can niche, or do you have to diversify in order to succeed? Well, th- that's something worth exploring. Um, in the sense that I think, and then again, I haven't played it enough to know for sure, there are areas of the game that seem to be very attractive for points, that if you work at them hard, you can get a lot of victory points that other people won't be able to touch. But you have to work toward that theme. And I, and I think the game um, pushes you to go in a direction or two because it's a deck building game. Mm. And there's certain employees that can hire you can hire oh, yeah. that are mm. much better for a certain idea than another. Yeah, I got the sense that diversity was a little bit better. I mean, I'd have to play it again, obviously, but... Um, there's a lot of things that overlap each other with victory points that made me think having a more flexible and diverse strategy might be better for the next time around. Yeah, I'm not so mm-hmm. sure niche will work here. And I am a preference. I am a niche preference three game <laughs> person, meaning I like to find a one thing and go at it hard. Mm. And in this game, I did not feel, granted I've only played once, but I didn't feel that was an option here. I think if you're going to try that, my one tip would be familiarize yourself with the whole deck, especially the third tier employee deck, because uh, mm. that third tier is when you learn how you can double down on victory points, meaning where your victory point multipliers are going to be and where your options are for multipliers. So without knowing those multipliers that are coming, you're not going to mm. be able to prepare well for your niche. Mm-hmm. Yep. So- and and it's a nice player aid, even though I didn't read ahead. A player aid actually tells you what all the employees that are coming forward, what their powers are going to be. So you could plan ahead if you actually read ahead. Of course, I I kind of did it like a just-in-time theory. <laughs> oh, I wasn't paying attention enough where I didn't realize the employees were kind of tiered, where you get through the first-tier employees, and the second-tier employees have similar abilities, but they're better. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I bought my employees early thinking that, 
extra actions and better actions early in the game would propel me to victory, like in a lot of other resource management type games, but not necessarily the case here. But Mike, you did a good job of, of rooting out your deck and keeping it minimalistic in a sense, mm-hmm. because then you were able to go through those cards and get back to those cards that you wanted again faster than the rest of us did. Well, Mikey's always been a fan of that trash. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, the funny thing about the trash in your cards in this game, though, is later on in the deck, there are cards that actually take advantage of having more cards in your deck rather than less. Don't. So I didn't realize that, and I thinned <laughs> my deck down to this tight, streamlined thing where I'm always playing Master Tailors every single turn. And uh, that didn't didn't work out as good after I saw those other cards that could have been better. Okay. A gold had to I have not just made a dress. I have made the first dress. Oh. And it was by a master. Yes. Uh, yes master. I have set the standard yeah, for a, the Southeast Hall. A very interesting experiment. You know what I'm really wondering is oui. where will your master be next round? Oh, it looks like you've used them all up in this round. Uh, you would have thought that I would have, except that I just hired a new one. Okay, we've gone from German, <laughs> French to German. <laughs> More? More? We can stop recording now. I think we got all yeah. <laughs> Basically. I thought the Master Tailors were going to be a bigger advantage than they were as mm-hmm. well. Um, <laughs> I executed my strategy perfectly. Um, <laughs> you actually did crush it, yeah. <laughs> and get into the kitchen early. That was my motto. Yeah, what's in the kitchen, Evan? Uh, the kitchen has two sections to it, okay? And you're only allowed to place one of your markers in in each of the two sections. So you can't monopolize. And there's only six to be had. So in an eight-player game, only six positions to be had. If you get in there every round you score, you make you get to you get to score cash. More cash. Because then by the end of the game, when I had a stack of 35, I was able to draw the card that allowed me to trade in. Uh, three dollars for every victory point itself, and I Whew, got went and got huge. thirteen victory points right with playing one card. Yeah, instead yeah. of ten for one, three for one. Yeah, that's an advantage. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah, that was a good. Yeah, I I grabbed that. I was able to grab that card. I got mm-hmm. lucked out. No one else grabbed it before me. Also, the fireworks display at the end of the game. The multipliers. Anytime I see multipliers on a game board, it makes mm-hmm. me happy because that that draws my attention right away. I know the power of multiplication. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, fourth, I'm gonna grade, fourth grade Evan is drooling over yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm like, I am all over those. So I started going for those, mul- grabbing some multipliers at, at uh, bargain prices early on and mm. it paid off. Um, my strategy for next time is to not sit to the left of Ed because he <laughs> was grabbing every time I was like, okay, next turn I'm going to do this. And then turn out that I'm going to do that. And every idea that I had, Ed was doing it one turn before me. It was. <laughs> well, you know what? So, He's just giving you the lesson. Live in the moment. Don't think ahead. All right. <laughs> and dressmaking. Yeah. Dressmaking yeah. is so sporadic that I. <laughs> I feel like that is a winning terraforming Mars strategy right there. Live in ah, the moment. Yeah. Whatever cards come, come. Right. <laughs> Can I ask, have you guys, did you guys play the original version? Of Rococo? Of Rococo? Yeah. No, I only played the Deluxified. Okay. Come on. Come on, Grant. You think we're going to play just a chump regular version when the deluxe version is out there? <laughs> well, oh I mean, God. it's been out for a while. I think the original version came out in 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. 2013, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That was so 2013. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Explorers. It's time to dig up or bury Rococo. Evan? Uh, Rococo was beautiful. It offered lots of paths to victory. I think it has great replayability. The iconography was easy to follow. 
It was one of the best looking games we've played this year, and I have a feeling you'll hear more about it at our end of year review show. Until then, dig it up. Ed? The look and feel of this game is gorgeous. But the game is expensive. Even for all the cool bits you get, it's pricey. The gameplay, however, is fast enough to get into and surprises me for how fun it was to make garments and put them in a hall without actually having to sew a buttonhole. <laughs> so I'll dig this up for the next festival in the palace. Mike? Although the scoring was everywhere across the board, I enjoyed all the interesting choices of how to build my fashion empire. So I'll say dig it up. Don't expect to know what you should be doing the first time you play this game, <laughs> but do expect to want to play it again to figure it out. So for that reason, I'm digging it up. Give us your thoughts on a Rococo period, or let us know if you have a crippling fear of buttonholes. No reason. <laughs> let us know. We are at Wish Game First on social media. Our last game up this week is Bolette. Published by the Bolette Company in 1931. <laughs> no number of players, no age, what? no playtime. What? <laughs> Mikey, tell us what's in this little box. The cover of the box was just the silhouette of a white bowling pin in front of a hideous orange background with the words Bolette, the miniature bowling game, angled across the front. What I expected to find in the box was a tiny ball and 10 tiny pins. <laughs> but what we actually had was 10 dice, mostly blank with one pin on either one or two sides of the die, and a bowling score sheet inside of a bowling pin that cracked open like a Russian nesting doll. Yeah. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if, I mean, it's just sitting there, guys, if <laughs> this it. game is a gutter ball or a strike. <laughs> <laughs> Low hanging fruit, Celeste. <laughs> no, sometimes you have to. It's expected. Evan, tell us how it's played. Bolet is a dice game in which you are hitting the alleys with all the skill of a professional bowler and at the same time, none of the skill of a professional bowler. <laughs> There are 10 dice in all, eight light-colored dice, each with five blank faces and one face with a bowling pin. And there are two dark-colored dice, each with four blank faces and two faces with bowling pins. Roll all 10 dice at once. If you don't do this successfully, it's considered a gutter ball and you score a zero on that roll. Right, Ed? It says that in the rules. Yep, that's like rule number one. No fumbling the dice, basically. Add the number of blanks rolled, and that is how many of the 10 pins you knock down. Reroll any pins that were rolled, and hope for all blanks, and pick up the spare. Scoring works like conventional bowling. There are 10 frames in a game, highest score wins, and that person becomes the champion of this nearly 100-year-old game, oh. Bolet. Wow. 90, in fact. 90 years old. And 90 years old bowling game. All right, Evan, come on. Tell us where you got this game. This game I found online. Uh, I was doing some Etsy shopping one day, and I saw it, and I had to have it. I mean, I mean who are come these on. people? Where do they have these games? I mean, are they just sitting in their attic? Handed down from grandma or great-uncle great or whom? Who <laughs> yeah, they knows? inherit the house from some grandma, and it was just sitting under the table, being neglected for about 30 to 40 years at least. Well, as is common with Evan's uh, vintage games, he 
on the box itself is some cheaper price, like 25 cents or 50 (laughs) cents from some tag sale in the 1970s where the person who now owned the game got it. So that's always fun. I saw on this one, it said 25 cents. Ed discovered, I think through reading the, through the rule pamphlet that comes with it, uh, if you want a replacement game, Ed, it was 60 cents at the time. Something like that. 1931, 60 cents. And if you wanted a replacement die, if you were missing one of the dies, you could send 10 cents to the Bolet company. You could mail <laughs> And there them. was one die missing, so I have already written to them and enclosed my <laughs> And I'm hoping to hear from them shortly and with my replacement die. That'd Excellent. I sent it by carrier pigeon and I'm waiting for a response. <laughs> so Grant, you would have, I think, loved the score sheet. What did yeah. the score sheet look like? The score sheet is a is a bowling score sheet. You know, it, it's it's like you see when you go to the bowling alley. That one that they, you know, project up on the overhead projector for everyone. But you guys remember, do you all remember the when it used to be paper? Like you were handed uh, yes, a sheet of paper with your yeah. stinky yes. shoes? Yes, yes, yes. That's right. I do not remember that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I yep. guess it did end right around when I was about 10 or 11. That's when they went to like video screens or was it later? Yeah. Like 15 maybe? The, the late 80s, I feel like they switched to high tech video. Four four megabytes of like video graphics up there that they gave you. The first one in the 80s that I saw was one of those ones that's kind of like at a bus terminal where the numbers flip. X's and flip all, like you know what I mean? Oh, oh neat. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, right. <laughs> like for those things. Mm-hmm. What the heck is it? It was a mechanical board first. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flipboard, like the clo- the old clocks used to be. Yeah. yeah. Cool <laughs> yeah. stuff. But I have fond memories of the paper, and it was so fun to see that paper again because I felt really smart when I learned how to score on the paper. It's a, it's a unique thing, right? There's a little box for if you strike and you got to color it halfway f- uh, mm-hmm. through for a... For, for a, spare. a spare, you were supposed to color it halfway through and write the number in the upper mm-hmm. left, and then you were supposed to put an X for a strike and add it together. I loved it, and it was so nice. It was a real vintage, throwback, nostalgic moment when I saw that score sheet. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, those score sheets, a lot easier to cheat at, too, when you write down <laughs> stuff. So Absolutely. Those, those computer yeah. ones are hard to fool. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, well, I think we proved that because Evan was our scorekeeper, and Evan also won. Yes, yeah. no, no, wait a minute here. <laughs> Hold on. Hold Same on. suspect to me. Yeah. 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 We promptly accused him of cheating. We yep, did. Yep. Indeed. So <laughs> it's you're... not my fault a one looks like a seven. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really cool. The coolest part of this game, I thought, were the dice colors. There are um, eight dice to represent the eight pins in the center, right? That mm-hmm. are white mm-hmm. and they have only one pin on them, meaning you could only leave the one in six chance of leaving that pin standing. Because mm-hmm. if it comes up pin, it's still standing up. If it comes up blank, you knocked it over. So it was a one in five, a one in six chance of leaving it up. But the black pin, the black dice on the ends were supposed to represent the seven ten split. Yeah, and they had two pins on them, so they were oh. harder to knock down. And I thought that was really clever. And how many times were we fooled by what came up on the dice? Oh my gosh. We wanted it so bad that we would look at the dice and gasp every time wanting that strike to happen. We're like, oh, and then we would see the pin last. Even if there's three pins, we'd miss all three of them until the very last 
like moment of it looking. It was a bizarre sort of illusion in a way in yeah. which our minds were attracted to the blanks mm-hmm. and we and mm-hmm. we automatically sought out the blanks and started counting them and ignored the pins that were showing. So in our minds, we're building it up like, oh, my gosh, this is a strike. I don't see any pins. Oh, there are the pins. Yeah. And the wildest thing was it was a collective delusion. We Uh all arrived at seeing the pins at the exact same moment. It was so weird. Oh, my gosh. We were like, yes. The same side of the deployment. And, you know, (laughs) we gasped 40 times and we got zero strikes out of those 40 gasps. Isn't that (laughs) remarkable? And I was surprised by that. So I had to run the odds. So I went to my little handy dandy uh, simulator over here and uh, simulated what, what, what are the actual odds to get all blanks on this particular set of dice, okay. and it turns out to be: Do you have a ten point three percent chance of getting a strike? Wow. Well, we should have gotten strikes then. We 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 beat the odds. Ten sorry. out of a hundred. Uh, we we bowled ten 40, out of we rolled forty yeah. times. So we should have gotten at least two. Hmm. Four, should have right? gotten at least four. Yeah, four, right? four. Yeah, four. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. would have been right around four. Yep. Uh, despite not getting any strikes, I think spares were very common because you're only rolling a couple of dice over. And, yeah. you know, yeah. one in six chance for three dice is a lot easier to do. A lot of spares. It could be mm-hmm. really exciting, too, though, you know? It's so exciting to roll just those few and hope. You get to, first off, okay, you get to roll <laughs> ten dice. <laughs> and then you get to roll some of them some more. I mean, <laughs> what's better than that every turn? <laughs> so well, what about an actual choice? I mean, yeah, that would be that nice. be cool, cool? Yeah, I'd like a choice. <laughs> well, you have a choice. You can re-roll the blanks if you want, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grant, how are you at real bowling? Uh, you know, I'm pretty happy when I break a hundred, so mm-hmm. not Woo-hoo. great, but you know, I, <laughs> I regularly break a hundred, so I mean, I don't want to brag too much on here. Oh, uh, humble brag. <laughs> I rolled three spares last week. Hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I get a strike occasionally. Whoa, watch out. <laughs> well, that's why I liked this dice game, because it made me feel like a good bowler for once. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Like, yeah. for once, I can break a hundred, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think it's the first time I've ever written down on a bowling sheet a good score for myself. And that really was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next time you go bowling, bring this and be like, well, this was the last time I scored. I don't know what's wrong with me today. <laughs> bring, just, bring the sheet with you. Look, right. I'm normally pretty good. I'm sorry. I'm just off today. Yeah. You know, The paper's all yellow. They're going to be like, really? Yeah. When did you go bowling? Uh, 1931. Yeah. yeah. It was my past life. I was a bowler. Uh, That's right. Look, whether you like this game or not, I will say it did come out in the Great Depression, so I'm giving it a pass Mm -hmm. regardless, okay? Here, here. That's literally any distraction. Everybody was hungry. Just the fact that they made a game. While they were hungry and they were searching for jobs and stuff, that's impressive right then, you know? All right. All right. I I did notice some teeth marks in some of the dice. That explains it. (laughs) Yeah, I had a hard time finding actual information about this particular game online. Couldn't find it anywhere. But I did find some knockoffs, as someone might say. Spear time bowling seems to be uh, the current kind of version of this game. Of course, they're all... Uh, like the the white dice, you, they didn't have any of the the two 
separate difficulty that I bet it's part of it part of the reason uh, that it's hard to find information online about this game is because <laughs> the internet wasn't going to be invented for 60 years probably went under in the great yeah. <laughs> But look for the board game geek page coming soon because Evan loves nothing more than being the first person to create mm -hmm. a page for these games. That's right. We were the first one to do Ada Ants. The we are the only video for Ada Ants still <laughs> in the world. That's right. Thank you. I don't know if that's a thing to be proud of, but Evan <laughs> is proud of it. <laughs> I'll find more. <laughs> okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Bolet. Ed. This is a neat-looking blast from the past, and it was fun to roll dice hoping for a strike. But there are no choices to be found here. Just roll in hope. Now, I can't really recommend this as a game to spend the afternoon with. But as a gimmick, it was fun enough for a few minutes to practice scoring bowling. So for if you're into that, I'll dig it up for a little bit. <laughs> Boom. Another one of Ed's highly qualified diggers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Evan. I did yeah. have fun for those five minutes. I'll give it that. Yeah, Ed is like, look, if it's just like right on the surface, I'll like brush a little dirt off of it. I mean, does that count as digging it up? That's kind of digging up. You know, I'll nudge it with my toe. If it comes out, I'll, I'll play it. I wouldn't use a shovel, but I might yeah. use a spade. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, Mike. There is absolutely no skill needed and not a single choice to ever be made in this game. <laughs> Despite holding my breath in anticipation on each roll, there wasn't a reason to play this again. So I had to say bury it. Evan? Come on, Evan. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I know. This is my investment. Trust me. <laughs> Bolette was surprisingly fun. <laughs> yes! Now... Now, okay, uh, I will say, I'll be honest, I'm not sure the novelty won't wear off after a few plays, but for a game in 1931, all right, you can see how this would occupy the children and hopeless gambling addicts in the pre-electronics world. <laughs> for those reasons, I will dig it up. <laughs> nice. I don't even know what Ed and Ed and Mike are talking about. I don't even understand it. <laughs> it does not compute at all. This game was so much fun. We laughed our way through the whole we did. game. And every guys, you know that every time we pull this game out ever, we will laugh our way through it. So <laughs> you guys are bananas. This is also one of the best uses of blank spaces on dice I have oh, ever hey, seen. Yes, thank you. Yeah, but if you got to have them this makes perfect sense <laughs> dig this game up i don't care if you have to rent a cat to do it dig it up <laughs> how's that okay ed save your toe and your shoe i'll bring it to the table you know that that fruitful renting cat market you know that's where you gotta get <laughs> it's big now it's trending yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead, take us out. So if you have thought about Bolette, come and chat with us on the Twitter, the Facebook, and the Instagram <laughs> in your spare time. <laughs> Damn, Ed, you're good. You're so good. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of our show. Grant Lyon. 
Comedy Central comedian, our board game comedian, yeah. our BFC. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's always yeah. so fun. You guys are, are are a hoot, and I appreciate you having me. Thanks for uh, <laughs> laughing your way through games. I love that about you. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Ooh, and if you'd like more perks and content from our show, including our exclusive podcast for our patrons only called bonus points points. (laughs) you can go to our website and click on become a patron today it's only three dollars a month there's 50 plus episodes out there just waiting for you and some secret archival which game first episodes that are only accessible to our patrons. And if you get a chance, please leave us a rating, a like, a review. Mention us down at the car wash. Whatever you can do to get our name out there is deeply appreciated. Join our chat on our Discord server. We're there every day. Let's just admit it, guys. We're on Discord every day. Yeah. And we are at which game first on all social media. Happy gaming, explorers. Hey, remember bowling for dollars? I don't either. <laughs> The cat is both alive and dead until you open the box and observe it. Yeah, I will say, it's if you read the Wikipedia page, they say so many times on there, they were like, this was a thought experiment. <laughs> this was... <laughs> it's like, clearly, nobody did this for real. This was a thought experiment. <laughs> no cats replaced in boxes. <laughs> yeah.